Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. Today is Monday, April 19th, and joining me on this Monday is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing? Oh, doing doing well. Unsurprised that we have reasons to come back together already, as Georgia is the center of the political universe of uh, the United States and probably the world, obviously. Yeah, we're starting to work on our next batch of coverage here at Peach Pod, but we wanted to jump online kind of quick here for a short discussion of some of the campaign announcements that have come out in the last week or so, um, most notably of these sort of one for the Democrats and one for the Republicans. State Senator Jen Jordan, uh, she announced that she is going to run for attorney general. So we're going to talk about her entrance in that race and talk about some similarities you might see between her campaign for attorney general, Eric Allen's campaign for lieutenant governor, um, and the issue of Sterigenics, the medical facility um, that was leaking um, cancer-causing chemicals in the Cobb County area. That's a place where both Jen Jordan and Eric Allen represent in their current jobs, um, maybe a part of their their campaigns for statewide office too. And then on the Republican side, we're going to transition and talk about Vernon Jones deciding to launch a primary bid against Governor Kemp. Um, I initially enter this conversation wondering whether to laugh or to take it seriously, um, but he did announced that he would challenge Kemp and he has pinned much of the blame for the Major League Baseball All-Star Game leaving Georgia and opposition to Senate Bill 202 from Atlanta companies like Coke and Delta. He's claimed he's placed much of that blame on Governor Kemp actually. Um so we'll talk about whether he could he could actually gain any traction and and put forward a serious challenge to Governor Kemp. Um we'll also touch a little bit on some of the names that we're starting to see enter the Senate race uh to challenge uh, Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, we got Buddy Carter in there and, and a couple of lesser known Republican figures. Um, and we're still waiting for some of the A-list Republicans uh, to decide whether or not they are also going to throw their head in the ring. Luke, let's start here with Jen Jordan, though. Um, she is a, a state senator from Cobb County. She has some. She is somebody who I think observers of Georgia politics have seen for quite a while as a rising star in the party and somebody who was likely to throw their hat in for statewide office, probably at the first good opportunity. Um, one of the things that we are noticing in these campaign announcements is they are coming really early this time around. It you know it barely feels like the last campaign cycle ended, um, but it does seem like we're going to see a lot of competitive primaries on the Democratic side for some of these statewide offices. And, and Jen Jordan joins uh, the already announced candidate, Charlie Bailey, who ran for this seat as the Democratic nominee in 2018 and came up short against Georgia's Republican Attorney General Chris Carr. Um, what do you make of Jen Jordan's entrance into this race? I, I think you already hit on the main thing, but the the first thing I would say is that Jen Jordan entering this race is very unsurprising and was a worst kept secret, I think, uh, of this legislative session that she was looking at this race and very likely to go uh, into it. And so I think I'm not very surprised that this happened. And I'm also, you know, happy to report kind of in contrast of what we've talked about with the uh, previous announcements that this one was a little bit more put together and, you know, had a introductory video and, you know, why I'm running uh, clearly, uh, you know, communicate again. So I'm happy to see uh, that element. But the other thing I would say too, and, and you just mentioned this, that it, it feels like this is really, really early. And I was somewhat critical of some of the other can candidates for jumping in 
uh, the way they dig with these soft launches. And the the thing I will say, this announcement coming when it does and the way that she's done it and some of the interviews she's done, it, it does not surprise me. It feels like the right move to announce this right now. And it's simply because of something she said uh, in one of those interviews, which is Georgia is a really big state. <laughs> and it, it will take a lot of time to introduce Georgians to who you are. And, you know, Jen Jurgen, while I feel like makes more news than a lot of state legislators, she she does not make as much news as even Stacey Abrams did when she was minority leader. And so I think Jurgen is making a, a good decision here by getting in the race now and starting to uh, talk about these issues, because I think it will take some time for... Uh, her message to permeate around the state and for voters to get to know her. And so uh, I'm excited to, to see her run. And like you, I, I've thought she is a rising star for quite some time and happy to see her star on the rise. Let's listen here to some of uh, Senator Jordan's announcement video here for this attorney general campaign and, and talk a little bit about the issues that she's focused on as she launches this bid. I have lost seven pregnancies and one after five months. Her name was Juliet. But no matter my faith, my beliefs, my losses, I have never ever strayed from the basic principle that each woman, each woman must be able to make her decisions in consultation with her God and her family. It's not always easy to speak out. I'm Jen Jordan, and I know firsthand that when you grow up in a place like this, your voice mostly goes unheard. Mama raised two of us on her own. She worked as a hairdresser, and after school, I'd sweep the floors and shampoo hair. I earned a Hope Scholarship, and when I wasn't studying, I was waiting tables and became one of the first in my family to graduate from college. It was in law school that I found my voice, and I learned that the law can be a powerful tool for justice. You see, the law is where everyone is supposed to be treated equally. The problem is, it often doesn't work that way, and the opportunities that I relied on growing up are being taken away. So I've used my voice as a lawyer and state senator to help others protecting the sacred right to vote from those who are pushing this century's Jim Crow laws, and standing up to those who lied about our election, fighting to shut down a plant that was pouring cancer-causing chemicals into our air, protecting our children from predators, and fighting to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers, while rooting out injustice and discrimination to guarantee that everyone receives equal treatment under the law. You see, I know what it's like to be an underdog, to be counted out, and not to have a voice. So I'll be an attorney general that fights every day for Georgians that don't have power, for those who just need a fair shot. I'll be your voice, always. Luke, um, she covered kind of some of her background there, um, along with some of the issues that it sounds like she's going to be focused on. Two of the ones that stand out to me, one in that first part, um, the very first few seconds of that clip that you heard there, that was her speech on the Senate floor in opposition to House Bill 481, the abortion ban that Governor Kemp signed into law in 2019. Um, that was a speech that I think at the time kind of went viral on social media, um, and it was kind of a a moment for her uh, politically and standing up on an issue that 
had personal importance to her and obviously carries a lot of weight um, within the Democratic Party and in a Democratic primary that she's going to start in. And then the other piece of this that stands out to me is, and, and you hear this a little bit in some of some of her early interviews, is her claim that Georgia's current attorney general, Chris Carr, is not using the authority of his office to help people in the way that he could, and her highlighting of the Sterigenics medical plan in Cobb County and his failure to act in a way that would have stopped that company from um, dispersing chemicals into the atmosphere that that is potentially getting people in Cobb County sick. What do you think of of that video and of her positioning on these issues? And you know how is how is that statement as a as an entrance for you as somebody who loves a good announcement video? <laughs> I, I do. I truly do. Uh, I, I think it makes sense as a video for her to to make, and I think those are good issues because um, you know one, obviously, the heartbeat bill has been one of great importance in uh, debate in the state, and it, it is important to know where people have st- stood on that issue. And I, I it's funny because I, I watched this video a couple times, and as we were re-listening to it, I actually thought sterogenics was a bigger part of the video, but it actually was kind of a smaller thing, but she's been talking about it a lot in her interviews, and I think that's a really good issue to, to talk about because it is so directly connected both to her story and to uh, the ter- current Attorney General Chris Carr's story, and uh, you know her her view on what that office should be doing and hasn't been doing, and and so I think that is a strong issue, and I I, I would not be surprised if she moves uh, more towards talking about that issue because I do feel like it is one that one the whole story I, I feel like is probably not out on that yet. There's more for for people to learn, and then and. To she has pretty legitimate claim to you know being on top of that. So I remember when this you know started in the before times before COVID and fall of 2019. Um, you know, Jen Jurgen was someone who was on top of this issue and was very often talking about it, and Eric Allen as well, who is also running for statewide office. So I, I will not be surprised if if they both start making this a larger part of their campaigns just because it is incredibly bad. And from what we have seen so far, I would not be surprised that this would be effective arguments for the independents and swing voters of the state of Georgia about the type of leadership that she hopes to bring from this office as compared to how Chris Carr handled the situation. So for her, I I think that is a really good issue and one that you know she is genuinely concerned about how chris carr handled it so i i i hope they use that issue as well as i think they can well i think there is some precedent there for pointing at the attorney general in this situation because in illinois that attorney general stepped in um in dealing with i believe it's another sterogenics plant it was a similar situation um basically an, an air pollution situation where um, these companies were not, uh, they claimed to be following, I believe it was federal regulations, but those regulations were not effective enough in keeping the air around these plants safe. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it does, it's interesting to have these two issues paired together. Um, because one, I think the abortion issue is at times a, a tough and kind of polarizing issue in this state. Um, and the other one on sterogenics on this air pollution kind of cuts through politics and even could 
talk to conservative voters about, you know, well, you want business friendly regulations, but when a company is literally putting chemicals into the air that cause cancer, that's, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. Like even conservatives should be able to draw the line there. I mean, I do think it's interesting on the serogenics issue. This was an issue that was, you know, I think really localized, got a lot of coverage in Cobb County. Um, I saw the other day, it's kind of notable that the 6th Congressional District, um, which is encom- encompasses a lot of Cobb County in that area around that plant, um, at least as it's drawn currently before redistricting, was the district that moved the most from Republicans to Democrats um, over the last, I believe it's the last couple cycles or so, for both Jen Jordan and Eric Allen, who may be the nominees for both of these statewide offices, that is also a very vote-rich area that they personally represented and have represented on this key local issue that may allow them to really provide some sort of direct voter outreach and relevant voter outreach in a, in a key area in this tight state where every vote is going to count in 2022. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting for its local impacts. It's also interesting politically when you get to where you have to count votes. Um, and the fact that you have not one, but potentially two Democratic nominees speaking to that issue, having worked on it, I think adds sort of a lot of legitimacy and heft to what that issue might mean in, in 2022. Yeah, because one, one thing I will say as, you know, we are two people who follow what's happening on, you know, in the state of Georgia to an obsessive degree. And I imagine if you ran a poll right now and asked people, like, do you know what the sterogenics plant is? If you're in Cobb County, probably really high. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine <clears throat> we'd be surprised by how high the recognition of that, you know, strange name for a company uh, and that issue would be, uh, whereas anywhere else in the state outside of the metro area or where the other, because there was two other areas that had similar leaks, if I, if I recall, or uh, not leaks, was similar. A, there was a plant in Covington um, that had a similar, it was a different company, but it was spilling the same kind of medical sterilization chemicals and, and a lot of local concern there as well. Exactly. And so beyond those two communities, I, I would not be surprised if there was very little recognition of this issue, but I also feel like it's one that would be very easy to communicate because people are just like familiar with pollution and businesses not hitting the standards that they should be. And so I don't think it would be hard to communicate this issue and the, you know, her, her opinion that Chris Carr failed to, uh, properly handle it. And so I think that will be an interesting thing to see of like which one of these two issues that she's been promoting the heartbeat bill and this sterogenics plant which one of them uh that she really starts to to focus on key on or if it's going to be something completely different because it is definitely true while her heartbeat video that you her ad begins with did go viral you know she wasn't able to stop that bill from becoming a law but with the sterogenics plant i mean Eric Allen, her, the other local representatives that were pushing that issue, I really did at least feel from what I was reading in the media that they got more attention on the issue and pushed it forward. So even if the outcome was not different in that case of, you know, those plants 
receiving more scrutiny, I, I definitely feel like they sped up the timeline, which is, as a state legislator, that's really all you can do sometimes <laughs> with executive actions. But uh, still, I, I think that is an accomplishment and a good one on her part that she got more eyeballs on that plant. And, uh, you know, I, I think that ultimately bodes well for her, uh, you know, talking about that issue in the future. Well, and the other thing about um, her speech on the abortion ban bill, um, you know, one thing that we've seen, a, a trend we've seen in campaigns recently is the importance of small dollar fundraising um, from progressives across the country. And that video and that kind of message is the kind of thing that could bring attention to her in a way that would deliver small dollar donors, um, deliver consistent donors. And so you could sort of see those two issues that she highlights playing in her favor in different ways. You know, the sterogenics thing is a potentially sort of non-political issue to talk to swing voters about and the um, her position on the abortion ban, particularly if we're in a position where a Supreme Court um, that has two Trump nominees on it is considering some of these abortion ban bills and may issue rulings that limit access to abortion, that her positioning on that and in alarm among Democratic primary voters about that issue becomes a galvanizing force in terms of donations and um, attention to her campaign. So I, you know, I can sort of see where both of those issues fit in, into her early um, early positioning there. And, and not to take away from her um, deep-seated beliefs about those issues and the, and the importance of the stand that she took, but, you know, these will also be um, key, you know, key pieces of the, of the politics here as well. So that I think is kind of what we're looking for here as, as Jen Jordan begins her campaign for attorney general. Um, some of the other Democratic names that are floating around, uh, B. Wynn, uh, State Representative B. Wynn, she succeeded Stacey Abrams in that state house district in Atlanta. Um, she has been rumored as being discussed as a likely candidate uh, for Secretary of State potential Democratic nominee to take on Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Um, she hasn't announced yet, but we've seen her name in, in the press. And Luke, I think you've heard her name among um, political activists uh, as a very likely candidate. Um, another campaign that, that we're keeping an eye on, Marcus Flowers. He is a challenger to Marjorie Taylor Greene in the 14th Congressional District. Um, he actually announced really early, but sort of notable for him recently that he has gotten the endorsement of both Andrew Young and Max Cleland. Um, long shot chance for Democrats to make gains in that seat, but Green has obviously been a, um, a, a person who's brought a lot of negative press to herself since getting into Washington. And I think um, there's a lot of people in the 14th District who would like a different kind of representation in Washington. Um, and then Notable in the in the lieutenant governor's race, uh, Sarah Riggs Amico, the Democratic candidate in 2018, she has endorsed Eric Allen in that uh, race, and she is going to serve as the campaign chair for his campaign. But her former political director, Colby Gardner, um, has also announced his own bid for lieutenant governor. Um, I don't think that one's gotten a lot of attention yet, um, but he is another Democrat, I think a, a, a young and pretty unknown Democrat to enter that race. Um, but but he'll be in the mix there, um, along with Eric Allen. 
And then as we mentioned before, just to, to finish up with the Democrats that we know that are running, State Senator Lester Jackson and State House Rep William Bodie are both running for labor commissioner. They've already announced. And so has Nicole Horn, a first-time candidate. Um, she is also running for labor commissioner. Luke, any thoughts on on B. Wynn or um, this challenge to Marjorie Taylor Greene or any other Democrats that you're keeping an eye on? Well, starting with the folks running statewide, I'm I'm happy to see that we are having a lot of quality people look at races and start to actually announce and start running for races because I mean previously, you know, if we had started this show, you know, back in 2010, I mean, almost every cycle would have been us just shaking our heads and face palming and the fact that these very important, very critical positions for the state of Georgia were going uncontested in Democratic primaries. And, you know, I, I really like to know personally a lot of the people that ran in those uncontested primaries. But I, I think for positions as important as attorney general, lieutenant governor, governor, it's good to have primaries and good to have candidates have to, you know, work for these nominations, not just because it will help them start communicating to voters earlier and learn the state and go around the state. I just think, I think it's better and will make the candidates better when they're actually facing the Republicans and having their ideas challenged and, you know, having to earn the nomination, I think it is good. And, and the other thing is I'm happy to see that we're getting some fresh talent in there because a lot of the folks who had run previously were either, you know, people that held office for decades or they held, you know, an office a decade ago and now they're coming back and and, and so it just it, it feels good for me to see people who I feel like have been doing good work uh, now trying to move ahead because the other element I feel like we faced for a long time is that there were elected officials doing really great work in office and then they would just never run for these higher offices because they did not feel winnable. Jen Jurgen six or eight years ago would have been someone we'd be talking about you know, saying, oh, gee, it would be it would be great if Jen Jurgen ever, ever ran for something higher, but she never will, uh, whereas now she is. And so I, I think that's just a big uh, highlight of how the state has changed and how these offices feel competitive is the fact that we're getting some serious candidates and elected officials looking at it already. And I'm, I'm happy to see that and happy to see that they are starting early and have time to do the work they're going to need to do. Yeah, and part of that early work too, Luke, is all of the time you'll need to dedicate to fundraising, given the assumption that we're going to have both competitive primaries in many of these races and uh, very competitive, probably very expensive general elections um, with likely tons of, of money being spent, particularly at the top of the ticket with Stacey Abrams and uh, Senator Warnock. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. And I, I, the other thing I would just say, too, is, you know, it's often derided just how much money uh, is in politics. But Georgia is an exception, I feel like, to a lot of states in the sense that, like, the money is required for a very, very practical reason, which is Georgia is a huge state with a ton of people. And it's just you just can't communicate by volunteers writing postcards to a state of this size and scope anymore. You know, it's unfortunate that that is a political reality. But, you know, it's not it's not Iowa. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot harder to uh, get, you know, get your message out without some mass communicating. Yeah, and, and so with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm very happy that we're having a Democrat run in that seat. I think it will be very difficult for any Democrat to win that seat just because of the fact that it is a very Republican 
district. It's gerrymandered to elect Republicans. And I can't really imagine them drawing a version of that district where that fundamental math equation won't be true just because that's just what that side of the state is like. And I don't, I can't imagine how it would not end up staying that way just based off of all the other math that the Republicans are having to do. But that being said, it's still very valuable for having a Democrat running there because anyone who's making the argument against her and what she stands for and what she is doing will echo, I think, and I, at least I hope, into the Republican primary because I am sure there will be a Republican who has good patriotic values and is a decent human being who will not want to have this person be their representative and run against her and hopefully will raise money and, you know, hopefully having a good Democrat in that race, if nothing else, will help get a sane human being <laughs> to win the Republican nomination. Uh, that's, that's you know, at least I can hope for in that situation. Um, but that being said, you know, maybe the electorate will surprise us and be willing to elect a Democrat if she uh, wins that nomination again and continues behaving the way that she has. So let's move on to the Republicans here, Luke. And the big story among announced candidates right now is somewhat unfortunately Vernon Jones, the uh, former Democratic state representative, former CEO of DeKalb County, now turned Trump Republican, um, who has been very critical of Governor Kemp and uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger over the conduction of the 2020 election and his claim based on false information that they did not stand up for election integrity when um, it was uh, proven by audits by the Secretary of State, by, by all kinds of governing bodies in the state, that the election in 2020 was run without any significant irregularities. Um, he has formally announced that he will challenge Governor Kemp, and he has been uh, doing a tour of right-wing media to blame Kemp for the All-Star Game leaving Georgia, to blame Kemp for a lack of leadership in not communicating, I guess what he would argue is the importance of election integrity to Atlanta companies like Coke and Delta. But Luke, uh, Vernon Jones is kind of a, a person who's courted a lot of controversy during his political career, um, kind of always a thorn in the side of Democrats when he was he was on this side of the party. Um, he um, also supported George W. Bush. Uh, and and so people were, were skeptical of his his credentials in the Democratic Party. Now he's uh, entering the Republican primary against Governor Kemp, having voted against the heartbeat abortion ban bill and serving as a Democratic state representative for a while. Um, I don't know, Luke, is, is this serious? Are we actually going to be talking about this, uh, when the Republican governor's primary, uh, gets close next spring? So my experience with former representative Vernon Jones is that controversy follows him and that he is good at getting attention and he's not terrible at getting votes because he did have primary opposition when he ran for state house again in 2016, because before he was DeCab CEO, he he also served in the legislature um, before his run as CEO. And, I mean, he's he just had controversy follow him constantly. I mean, he had controversy for his professional duties as CEO. He had some personal uh, allegations uh, when of sexual assault when he was CEO. So it is 
hard to imagine that Vernon Jones will not be in the media for something. Now, how likely is he to beat Brian Kemp in a Republican primary? I'm not really sure. The thing that this definitely tells us, I think, is that there is this open laying of being the Trump guy against Brian Kemp. And Vernon Jones has been working pretty hard <laughs> at being the guy who feels it the most. The thing I, I really suspect is that there will be someone else who takes this role or attempts to take this role, take this laying against uh, Brian Kemp. You know, because it's notable, we, we talked about Joey Heiss running for Secretary of State previously. He announced with the endorsement of Donald Trump immediately, right? And so it's quite clear that Trump wants Joey Heiss specifically to run against Brian, or sorry, run against Brad Raffensperger. Whereas Bergen did not announce with Trump's endorsement. Now, Rudy Giuliani did tweet something nice about him. Um, Called him the right man to reform Georgia. Right, which, I mean, pretty much does sound like an endorsement, to be fair. Like, that that sounds like an endorsement to me. Uh, yeah, it just be... comes from Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> right, and so, I mean, I, you know, it's Rudy, so I guess he could just, like, tomorrow say, like, and I, you know, Vernon would be the right person, but this other person is Riger. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that develops. But um, the other thing I'll say, too, while it has been in Democratic primaries, Vernon Jones has run for statewide office, so I, I suspect that he has some level of name recognition outside of just his district in DeKalb uh, that will be beneficial to him. But the thing that you've also pointed out already, and other people are <laughs> pointing out, is like, I mean, he has been a Democrat for a very, very long time. And while by no means was he a, uh, you know, typical member of the Democratic caucus, I feel like the vote against the heartbeat bill will be very hard for some Republican primary voters to swallow and just his, you know, general status as a longtime Democrat, I feel like will be hard for some of those folks to overcome. But I, I think it really, the key question in my mind is, is there someone else who's looking at this that Trump would prefer to run? And if that doesn't ever materialize and Trump just decides, ah, screw it, I'll endorse Vernon, then that could make it a lot more serious, I think. Yeah, that's kind of the key question for me is like if if Vernon Jones could actually land the Trump endorsement, does this actually make this a really competitive race? Um, you know, Vernon Jones has been on that One American News, the very Trumpy outlet, um, and he's been attacking Brian Kemp specifically on that outlet. He said that uh, the voting bill, Senate Bill 202, was kind of a weak attempt to earn Trump's support. Um, and Trump did bash that bill shortly after Governor Kemp signed it. You know, you have to imagine that Governor Kemp is doing some work within the party to try to limit the people who might challenge him kind of under a Trumpy banner. Um, and so could you end up in a situation where Vernon Jones maybe is sort of the only viable, experienced candidate who appeals to Trump? Um you know, I, I feel like all of this is notable in the context of the stories that have AJC's reported on over the weekend of several of these uh, county Republican Party meetings where a lot of Trump allies were put into place in county in county parties. Uh, AJC reported today on Monday, the day that we're recording, that the DeKalb GOP punished a longtime Republican activist who worked for the county elections board. 
um, because he was not willing to say that there was uh, widespread voter fraud in the uh, 2020 election. And in some of these county parties also sort of pushed back against establishment types being involved, including people like Karen Handel and Tom Price. Um, so it, you know, it feels like the grassroots part of the party, some of the party infrastructure at these county party levels, they are being increasingly run by tr- pro-Trump candidates and, and could probably do GOTV for a, a Trump-endorsed primary challenger to Governor Kemp. Um, sort of the big question is, is Vernon going to be that guy? And the one thing I will say, you know, because we, we the premise of your question, you know, like, is this serious or not? I think it's it's depends on your definition of serious. Right. Because the one the one thing that Vernon Jones actually has going for him in the Republican electorate is the fact that he a lot of people like to pretend to be like Donald Trump. But Vernon Jones is a lot like Donald Trump, just like his personality and his uh, scandal scandals follow him he's good at getting away from them and he is very good at getting attention and being bombastic and so there are a lot of things personality wise if voters are driven to donald trump by his personality that uh vernon jones meets very naturally he's not he's not playing it on tv i mean that's just who he's been as a political figure um and so on that front uh, it, it makes sense that, that they are aligned in this era. And I, I will be very curious to see how it plays out. Um, so maybe the only time that we will grant Vernon Jones this thought experiment, but let's assume that he ends up being really competitive in this primary. He gets the backing of Donald Trump and he can successfully unseat an incumbent Republican governor and be the Republican nominee for governor in 2022 widespread assumption that then he would be facing Stacey Abrams in that general election. Does that give you any pause at all? Any concern about having to potentially face Vernon Jones as the Republican gubernatorial nominee in November of 22? It really does not just because of the fact that Vernon Jones has not had a very stellar record. He's run a lot. He's uh, been in office for a long time. But as far as delivering concrete accomplishments, he has not been as helpful. I, I think the thing that if he were to run the no- win the nomination, which I, just to be clear, I, w- I don't think he would even with Trump's endorsement and enthusiastic backing. But if he, if he would, it would really significantly shake up the Abrams playbook, I, I would think, just because Kemp has a very specific record that she can run against. And I think it actually puts her in a stronger position to be running against Kemp as the incumbent governor compared to the campaign she ran against him when it was an open seat and he was a hypothetical governor and we didn't really know what his governance style would be like in that position. There's a lot of things, I think, in... Now now that we have this accumulated evidence of what Kemp is like as governor, that it's going to make Abrams' arguments a lot stronger. Whereas if she's running against Vernon, he would have that benefit of, you know, all the things that Abrams probably has lined up that she would like to say about why she thought Brian Kemp was a bad governor and why she would be a good one. She would have to scrap that and now talk about Vernon Jones all the time, which, I, you know, again, I don't really think that would happen, but that would be tricky. That would be my only concern about that, you know, 
eventuality. That's about all that I can, all the time I can spend entertaining that idea. So we'll, we'll save it for, uh, maybe when, uh, Vernon Jones gets some good polls or something. Um, the, on the Republican side, um, in terms of challengers to Senator Warnock, we are starting to get some names, uh, some people throwing their hat in for that. Uh, the most notable so far is probably Congressman Buddy Carter. He represents the first congressional district down in the Savannah area and in the, the part of the state along the coast. Um, he is described as likely to run. Um, he's currently going through the motions of considering whether to run. He has not formally announced, um, but he is in that that likely description. The names of people that have announced, one is a guy named Latham Sadler, who worked in the Trump administration, but he, he looks like a pretty young guy. Um, I believe he worked in banking before he worked in the Trump administration, kind of an unknown, a new figure to Georgia politics. And then a second name of a person who has announced that they'll challenge Warnock um, is a uh, is a guy named Kelvin King, who was a prominent Trump backer, a, a black Republican who runs a construction company. Um, those are two, I think, relatively unknown, um, definitely not A-list challengers among the Republicans. The The names that you often see floated in the press of people who may jump in but have not announced yet include uh, the current Attorney General Chris Carr, Doug Collins, and Kelly Leffler, the two Republicans from that runoff last time around. And then the, the interesting but weird one, the one that's being egged on potentially by President Trump, is uh, Herschel Walker, former uh, UGA football legend um, who has lived a long time in Texas, but but maybe considering challenging Raphael Warnock. Luke, before we get to the names of the people who have yet to announce, who may, now, uh, may announce or may not, anything about those two lesser-known announced candidates or Buddy Carter's likely campaign, um, anything to say about those? So one thing I find really interesting about this is – the idea that we've been talking about that for a long time the state did not look competitive for Democrats, now it does. And so there's all these people announcing for higher office, statewide office, etc. right? And so for me, especially talking to a lot of my Republican friends, they're pretty confident that they can knock Raphael Warnock off. I don't think they are correct in that confidence, but I am genuinely surprised that more people have not announced to, to run against him. Uh, maybe they were waiting for uh, the first quarter fundraising, which for Raphael Warnock was very strong. He raised more than $5.7 million, uh, and that was from more than 100,000 uh, uh, donors. And that are very, very good numbers, especially for a first-term incumbent senator. So I, I am very pleased and impressed by those numbers. And so maybe that was what some other people were waiting for. I, I don't know, but I, I would have expected at least one high profile Republican running already. And so we have these smaller names uh, that have started and we have Buggy Carter in the consideration pile, which has been a U.S. congressperson for several terms. And so, I mean, he, he while not being a super exciting you know, Republican rising star, he is someone who makes logical sense, you know, as someone who would pursue this office. Um, so I, I don't really know uh, what's happening there. And I, I wonder if there are some 
larger conversations going on since I imagine some of the folks that are looking at running for other statewide offices, maybe as Trump candidates, might be considering, you know, governor, lieutenant governor, or the Senate race. The the thing I do know is whoever ends up being the Republican nominee is going to have a pretty tough race because based off of uh, how strong Warnock has been in polling and in fundraising, I would not be surprised if he is funded very, very well and that the runoff won't be a fluke where, you know, you have all this attention and you get enough funding to get the job done in this one situation. I, I suspect he will be funded fully, maybe not as much as he got last time, but still have a really robust fundraising hall and able to build the organization he needs to to win win that race again. Yeah, I think it is notable, you know, he is the congressman that uh, succeeded Jack Kingston, who made a good run at the Senate seat in 2014 before he ultimately lost the runoff to to David Perdue, who then went on to to hold that Senate seat for six years. Um, the thing, though, that I think is notable, it is early. I think that's the caveat with everything. Um, but the people who I thought maybe could potentially be good contenders uh, like Doug Collins or Kelly Leffler, they also had a bunch of campaign infrastructure that was just there a few months ago that would sort of be ready to to get off the ground again and, and get going if they wanted to jump into this thing early, start raising money, um, start building, sort of rebuilding their name ID and basically continuing their campaign against their Democratic opponents from the last time around. And so it is sort of interesting that they have waited this long. Um, you know, I think for somebody like Chris Carr, he, I think, maybe is potentially making a decision about whether or not he wants to remain attorney general. He might be sort of ballparking whether he could get a Trumpy challenge, although he hasn't really been in the middle of any of this um, election stuff that that has animated grassroots Republicans. Um, he also could be sort of ballparking the strength of, of Democratic candidates that um, that he could end up going against. You know, his wife, Joan Kirchner Carr, uh, was Johnny Isaacson's chief of staff um, going back, I think, to like 2013. Um, you know, in some ways, it sort of would have been a natural progression for for Chris Carr or for Joan Kirchner Carr to consider running to follow uh, Johnny Isaacson after he'd retired. Of course, he he retired a little sooner than I think that he wanted because of health reasons. I mean, we all know how that that race ended up um, kind of a, a wild free for all on the Republican side. Um, but, you know, Chris Carr could be, could be giving that office consideration, um, but he would have to build up a little bit more campaign infrastructure. I would think um, I believe his first statewide race was actually for his reelection as attorney general after he got appointed to that position. Um, and then won reelection in 2018. Um, so I don't know, just notable that some of those, uh, people like Collins and Leffler that had campaign infrastructure um, didn't fire it up again really quickly. Well, the thing I, my, my response as you were saying that, I was literally just like shaking my head. I was just like, why? Why would you even want to do that? Because even if, even if Kelly Loeffler really enjoyed being United States Senator and cannot imagine her life without her being in that office again, I would just think she'd want a break. <laughs> I mean, that's why I was so surprised when she announced the 
not fair fight, not Republican fair fight organization. <laughs> That's name I cannot remember. Uh, just because I, I would just feel like she'd be so exhausted after uh, having that brutal of an election run, and and it, it'll be really curious, in my opinion, to see just how that plays out and um, if she gets in or not. But I, I really would also be surprised if she is the strongest candidate in that race, just because. Well, I feel like she has very high name recognition statewide. It's not very good. Um, and I think there's a lot of Republicans who would want to go in a different direction, especially considering all the other fights that are happening. Uh, and, the, I mean, the last thing I'd say about her is why I would not think she'd be the strongest is, is just because there's going to be a lot of Trump and everybody else fights going on. And... She is in the everybody else category since she was someone that Trump did not really like that much and was begrudgingly, you know, supportive of her. So I, I feel like if there's a primary situation, Donald Trump is very likely to pick someone other than Kelly Loeffler as his preferred candidate in that race. All right. So I think we'll leave it there for early announcements for now. Um, you know, Vernon Jones joins the, uh, potential slate of Trump-backed candidates. Uh, we talked previously about Jody Heiss, who entered the Secretary of State's race with the endorsement of Donald Trump. David Bell Isle also jumped into that race, as we talked about. Um, but depending on how Trump feels about uh, Republicans running to challenge Raphael Warnock, um, we may start to see what the Trump slate looks like, whether Vernon Jones is going to be on it, um, and who else joins Jody Heiss with endorsements from the uh the guy who lost georgia the coveted endorsement from the guy who lost georgia for the first time since 1992 so <laughs> great place to be i guess um but i think we'll we'll leave it there um so we'll be back soon you'll also begin to hear from some of these candidates on peach pod and uh we will continue uh our coverage and and as we march towards redistricting later this summer but for now, we are going to leave it there. So, Luke, thank you, as always, for joining the podcast. Uh, happy we got a chance to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And more to come. It's never slow around here. All righty, y'all. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.